All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. It's time for the Wally Mathot Show. Now, here are your hosts, Brent Wallace and Mark Mathot. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Wally Mathot Show. I'm Brent Wallace. He is 13-year NHL veteran defenseman Mark Mathot, who's apparently gone shopping and has a new T-shirt. Yeah, I've got a lot of new stuff, what Wally. Is that? I, I rarely... That's oh, Biggie. It's notorious. Um, no, I bought a bunch of stuff, and I got a new table here. It's a foldable table that I got at Walmart um things are good things are really looking up here wally <laughs> wow we are paying you way too much <laughs> i just i needed something different because we had this huge i was using this huge like round dinner table downstairs here in the theater room and it just made no sense so went out to walmart bought a nice cheap table it's foldable my knees fit underneath we're ready to rock the theater room oh my the estate yeah um as always, the Wally Mathot Show brought to you by Ridge Rock Brewery. Go to ridgerockbrewco.ca. Use the Wham Show coupon code. Get 15% off your order. Don't forget, get home delivery. Get them to drop it off right to your doorstep. Try Amber Ale, Blonde, American Pale Ale, Delicious Stouts. They also have this um, Norwegian beer, Spro. It's very good. So uh, go to ridgerockbrewco.ca. Use the coupon code and enjoy some nice pints as we get set to welcome in the NHL season. Matt. Hockey is finally starting to get back here, right? Like mm. we have the rookie camp now getting underway. It's going on in Buffalo. We'll get to that in a sec. 
but apparently Pierre Dorian not done making moves as it came out on Wednesday that Tyler Mott, the former New York Ranger and longtime Vancouver Canuck, signed with the Ottawa Senators. So one-year deal, $1.35 million. He's listed as a center, but has played a lot of wing and suspect yeah. that uh, that guy, uh, Alex Formanton, isn't exactly signed yet. So hmm. that's a depth move and a spot he can fill. Yeah, and, and he's and he's not Alex Formanton. Let's get one thing clear here. He's not going to bring that same speed per se, but he's a versatile player. Uh, he's a good checker. Uh, you know, a lot of these role players from around the league, you, you don't really know a whole lot about him, right? Like you, you kind of follow yeah. casually throughout the year, but he's got some playoff experience, had a pretty decent run last season there with New York. So had a couple goals, uh, but from my understanding, good checker, very responsible, brings a lot of energy. Um, and, you know, he's still got mileage. That's another thing that, um, that I like about this yep. pickup that Pierre made and, and low risk, by the way, 1.35 on a one-year deal. I mean, at 27 years of age, uh, I'm a big fan of this pickup. And it sounds like a lot of the other fan bases that had him are pretty positive and high on him. So, yeah, it's a, it's a great depth move for, from uh, Pierre Dorian in the sense. Uh, a couple of notes. One, he's never scored more than nine goals in a season. I'm not, that's not yeah. a shot. It's just a, a stat. He's played 269 games, 35 mm -hmm. goals, 62 points. I will say last year he averaged 14 minutes a night uh, between Vancouver and the Rangers like 14 minutes, that's third-line minutes. Significant. Like that's a dependable player. Uh, the yeah. New York Rangers weren't slobs by any stretch of the imagination. I know he only played nine games there. Uh, but, again, dependable forward. I don't mind the move. Oh, and one more. He is a Michigan guy, so maybe that's why they brought him in, because now they're building <laughs> the Michigan Senators, it appears. Yeah, yeah. And like like we talked about, we don't know the state or the status, rather, of Formanton as it stands right now. What's going to go on here uh, as far as the signing goes and everything else? So, I think for us right now, it, I mean, I, I thought, and, and I, Wally, I'm not just saying this. I legitimately thought there was an opportunity. When I mentioned Derek Broussard a couple weeks ago, that was legit. And it's my understanding that there was a little interest. Um, but at the end of the day, I know Derek's probably looking for something very concrete and he doesn't want to go on as a PTO. A little more risk bringing in a player of that age. So this is sort of that that next best thing, right? Maybe not, doesn't bring the skill set and experience that a guy like Broussard would bring, but he's got a lot of energy and he'll fit right in with DJ's style of play. All right, so a couple of things. One, uh, Craig, cue the board. Uh, we call this, who's the lefty? And that is to fill the Alex Formington spot. And this was, we just did it before they signed Tyler Mott and I was thinking perhaps there's some depth guy in the organization if Alex Formington, who's an RFA, doesn't sign by the beginning of camp. And, yeah. We've seen this play out many times, right, Matt, that the RFAs tend to get into the season maybe once or twice, one or two games, and then suddenly it gets signed. But we saw that with Brady Kachuk. There's right. always that pressure point of missing games that starts to bring RFAs into signing contracts. Would that be fair? Yeah, no, I mean, for sure. And as a player, and we've talked about this before, we talked about it ad nauseum regarding Brady during that little yeah. debacle. It wasn't a debacle, but you know what I mean. And I think it, it puts a lot of pressure on the player when cam starts to yeah. approach right because then all of a sudden there's media members hunting you down trying to get some juicy quotes out of you one small comment that you could make they can take out of context print it out there and it turns into a bit of a back and forth battle right so and obviously the team too i mean let's face it there's a lot of pressure on the team as well here i mean pierre's done a fantastic job this summer but we talk about how important the start is for this hockey club pressure's on this isn't a scenario yep. where they have so much depth at this point that they can just get away with perhaps missing a player of that caliber i mean we're talking about 
a first line penalty killer that is not on your team right now to start the season potentially. So that's significant. Um, and then of course the speed that he brings every night and that line potentially between him and, and on the other side with, um, with Matthew Joseph, I mean, that is deadly. So this is a great filling filler. uh, And I don't like calling players filler uh, fillers, but, but a player like Tyler Mott is certainly a depth piece that they can bring in kind of like almost like a Gambrell type of situation where not bringing a ton of offense, but pretty responsible, Decent on draws, can play up and down the lineup if he needs to. So we'll have to wait and see how that plays out. But not having Formanton in your lineup to start will be a bigger loss than I think most people truly appreciate yeah. at the moment. And just uh, like he's tw- – and Tyler Mott's 27. I I yeah. don't really know a lot about him. But the point I want to make, and you've made it, is he's not Alex Formanton. He's not no. coming in as the savior. And if anything yeah. – we don't know how many games he may end up playing for the Ottawa Senators, right? Like, right. you don't know if, or does he move Dylan Gambrell out of that spot on the fourth line center? And Dylan is now right. a depth guy. Like, yeah. there is some movement, but I will go back to the left side just because it's it's a good debate, and that is, these are some these are some of the players that we think depth wise in the organization could fill in the Alex Formington spot if not for Tyler Mott. Igor Sokolov mm-hmm. comes into camp, uh, Robert. Roby Arvente, although I believe the name is actually different. I do you remember Gord Miller at the uh, World Juniors was saying <laughs> Yaravent? I don't know. I know. Uh, Ridley I, Gregg, I never get it right either. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I'll embarrass myself for a while on that. Uh, Ridley Gregg, who is, we do know he's still not playing and participating in the uh, rookie tournament, but like he, he's going to be at main camp. Pierre he separated he, his shoulder. Like, is any this? I was yes. like, I'm, I'm not surprised. That he's not playing in this tournament. I was shocked that he was even in the conversation initially. Like I when I heard that potentially he was going to be suiting up, I'm like, what? Like, talk about a turnaround. So I mean, I don't even think he'll be hundred percent come NHL training camp, but that'll and, and think of the time, Wally, that he'll have missed leading yeah. up now. So he'll have he'll be playing the catch-up game as well. So that's a bit of a loss there, but we obviously wish him well. I'm just I was genuinely shocked initially that he was even in that conversation to play in the prospect tournament. Yeah, and I, I get the sense that Pierre Dorian back on uh, August 22nd at the golf tournament with the CP Women's Open, he kind of alluded to it. He, he said, quote, uh, regarding Ridley Gregg, he won't need surgery. He's got a separated shoulder. He'll probably be out three to four weeks. Yeah. Uh, we'll, yeah. we'll need to evaluate him as we get closer to rookie camp, but he'll play in oh, exhibition yeah. games. And I think he means uh, regular season ex- – or regular camp exhibition games. So right. we'll evaluate him as he gets close to the rookie tournament, but he'll be part of training camp. And he will play in exhibition games. So okay, I, he, okay he's close, good. but that's yeah, and that's August twenty second. I mean, everything can change, but we do think Ridley Gregg is closer to getting back in the lineup. Um, and let's face it, we saw what he did at the World Juniors. I think he's ready for main camp. Oh, absolutely, like, yeah, right. Not, not health wise, but that he's got that kind of skill. Uh, Victor yeah. Lodin or Lodin, sorry, uh, he's also another one. He's twenty three, and same with Igor Sokolov. They're the oldest of the guys. The other guy. The other guy that's not on the list, I guess, is a PTO. Like your Derek Broussard is not crazy. Like there were options for them to do that. I think Victor Mott, or sorry, Tyler Mott is likely a better scenario uh, than maybe older players, which we're seeing get pushed out of yeah. the league uh, at an alarming rate this season, uh, which I want to maybe sometime touch on in a bit is uh, like Igor Sokolov is an interesting one to me, right? He's, He's 23. He had uh, finished second in the AHL in scoring last year with the Belleville Sens, second in the team scoring. 50 points, 19 goals. He's coming into camp a lot lighter, a lot quicker. 
uh, how much quicker, I don't know. But you need to keep up with this Ottawa Senator group. So he's, group. he's and, leaned out. He's leaned out even more. Yeah. That's the word. The the shape he's in apparently best of his life. I know he's twenty three, but best of his yeah. life, he's ready to go. He's good. supposed to look really good. That's some insider information there, Wally. That's that's exclusive insider <laughs> training camp info. No, <laughs> joking aside though, that's yeah. I mean, it's a good point though, right? Because I remember like just watching him last season getting those little glimpses of him in, in exhibition games. Like he, he, he did not look out of place. Now there were times, you know, maybe on the defensive side of the puck, you could tell like in the defensive zone where there were issues at times, very small, but like even his compete level in the offensive zone for loose pucks and getting his, his big rear end right in front of the net, not being able to move him around. Cause he's a big man. Like I met him in person. He's my That's height right. and he's a yeah. big guy. He's obviously got a strong lower body. So that's another player though, like a legitimate player that's almost turned into a bit of an afterthought you know in light of all the pickups that they made over the summer you kind of forget him a little bit he gets lost in the conversation yeah that's another guy that is a competent potential third line winger to start the season assuming Formigen can't do that and Ridley Gregg is obviously out or whatever so these are all conversations that are exciting and it's a good position to finally be in if you're the Ottawa Senators if you're the fan base and now you've got options I mean this is fantastic this isn't a conversation we were having three or four seasons ago. So, um, you know, it's a good problem to have. And I've always put so much emphasis on this Wally training camp, you know, like there's a reason why you have it. It's an opportunity for these guys to show what they have, bump each other out of the way and perhaps, you know, leapfrog a couple of players on the depth chart. Okay. So there's a couple of things with, with Sokolov for me. One, he's an RFA. This is an important yep. year for him. Big right? time contract year. You're not, you're not playing in a regular shift, in the national hockey league. You've got to make something happen. This is yeah. This is on you, totally right? Agree. The other issue yeah. is we've talked about Ridley Gregg and all the other guys who are coming behind him. I yeah. know he's a late bloomer because remember he got passed over in the NHL draft three times or twice. Uh, wasn't really considered much um, in the junior league, so he's used to being the underdog guy that takes longer to develop. But if he doesn't develop this year, I'm concerned about him being an NHL regular, at least with the Ottawa Senators in the future yeah well yeah i mean and that's at that age like you're going into your last season it's it's and you don't you never want to put more pressure than you need to on a player but i mean that is a critical but they know about it they know it's a, it's a critical year though like you yeah. have to you have to show me like show me what you can do now and if i'm if i'm igor i'm going into that camp with a chip on my shoulder i want to see his compete level elevate to another level there I, I just, I want to see a little more of that edge. He brought it last year. I'm not saying he didn't, he did. I want to see more of that. And then some, and I think if you, if he could, if he could add a little bit of that offensive touch to maybe pot a couple goals at cam, make a little noise in the point columns, then, he, then he's making a legitimate case for himself, right? That's when he gets into that conversation where, okay, he's leaving us no choice. This kid's an NHL player. So it's a big year for some of these players. And when you feel the younger guys, you mentioned there, Wally, with players like Ridley Gregg coming in now, vying for those positions, maybe ahead of time a little bit. It makes you that much more, you know, that much more motivated as a, as a veteran now in training camps to, to do something about it. So that third spot on that left side without Formington right now is super intriguing. And you've got so many options that I don't even know where to begin. It's going to come down to camp, obviously, but, you know, Sokolov's a big one. Igor's got to make a splash. And then we obviously have Tyler Mott now in the equation where he could fill in. I don't know what happens with Gambrell and Kastelik. There's a lot of little storylines that are going to be fun to keep a, keep an eye on. 
But the reality is, Beth, and and you know this as a player, the spots are almost all but taken. Like mm-hmm. you're, if you're any of those guys we just mentioned coming into camp, you know that you are in a massive uphill battle to try and get a spot. Yeah. Are you not? Well, just well, no, based on what, dollars and cents. Yes, but that's what I'm saying. And I've I've always preached this. Like we talked about Branstrom a little bit in the past and other like like fringe established players. Yeah. You have to knock the door down in camp. Like you have to make it to the point. Like you can't be vanilla. You can't be on par with some of the vets. You need to go above and beyond. You have to play better than a lot of the regulars because the regulars are coming in. They're going to be pretty Joe casual. They're just wanted, they want to get their hands going, their legs going. They're not going to be going all out. So you being on par with those guys is never going to cut it. You need to come into camp. You need to make a splash. You need to make a statement. And that's where, that's where you grab because there's going to be a ton of scouts, your jet, the GM, the assistant GM, all the coaches, they're all watching. They're all paying attention. Every shift matters. They're going to be paying attention to your compete level, how much better you are than perhaps some of your peers, et cetera. So that, that that's an area where, and, and we mentioned some of the names here, it's inexcusable. You have to make a huge splash and impact in camp and make it an incredibly difficult decision for the general manager. Did you do that? Uh, like I did. Their year, I did. I right? went. I, I went to camp. I went to camp with the chip on my shoulder. It was my last year, and um, I remember even saying Aaron Portsline. I know I've told the story before, but I, I said, and I, I probably should not have said what I said, but right. But it, but it, but it motivated myself to 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 back up my words. So I go into camp, and Aaron was trying to get a feel well, for where I was at. Yeah. He was the, the the main beat writer for the team, and uh, I told him like. You know, if they don't want me good riddance, I'll go somewhere else. That was basically the quote that I had as a like a non an unproven NHL player. And it. but but it lit a fire under my own ass where I, I played in these exhibition games and I played out of my mind, right? Because I was I was playing with fear and anger and I was super motivated. So they respected it. And and at the time it was Scott Howes and the general manager. And I think I believed his response was, I don't mind a player being competitive and setting goals for himself or whatever. He, he covered nicely for me, but I could still remember going into the rink the next day. And like, I, I remember Freddie Modine was on the bike. He was a veteran at this time. And he was reading the dispatch newspaper because of course we didn't have cell phones at the time to the degree we have now. And I remember looking up at me and just kind of shaking his head and going, Oh boy. Like he said something like that, you know? So that's the type of pressure you have to put on yourself if you want to make that jump. And I did that. Luckily for me, it worked out. I don't know what would have happened had I not played well, but you know, it is what it is. Did so did did Adam Foote, I think who was the captain maybe at the time or whoever the was maybe a Rick Nash, did he say anything or did Scott Housen come back to you or anything? No, no one literally it's funny. Literally nobody in the organization, at least from a management or front office point of view said a word to me like about that. Like nobody addressed it because I was backing it up on the ice and, and you know, like sometimes you gotta, you gotta make a little noise and you want to get someone's attention. And I certainly did that. Now I'm not advocating for players to do exactly that, but I was frustrated. Right. I remember being on the balcony uh, of, of the, the hotel room and having that phone call with Portsline and basically being forthright with them. So anyway, long story short, that's what it's all about at this level when it comes to this, because you're fighting for your livelihood and you need to show that on the ice. Could you imagine if you were in the Twitter world when you said that? Oh my goodness. I wouldn't have lasted. <laughs> you would have been gone. I would have been gone. Yeah. Yeah. That was just before Twitter really kind of became a thing right at the time. Yeah. I think Bissonette was really the only player 
that had a Twitter account because it was taboo to have an account, right? Like you just didn't want to do that. You didn't want to draw more attention to yourself, but it's the landscapes changed quite dramatically. Well, uh, just like Mark Mathod bet on himself, you can bet on the Ottawa Senators all hmm. season long. Uh, sign up to sportsinteraction.com slash Wally and Mathot. Uh, they'll match your first deposit up to 500 bucks in sport bet credits. Once you place qualifying sports bets and those bets have been settled, go to sportsinteraction.com slash Wally and Mathot. Uh, fantastic partners along the way, and they have done a fabulous job with setting up uh, some of the odds. We will get to some of those a bit later in the show with our good friend Craig. Um, you talked about training camp. Uh, do you remember rookie camp very well? Was there a sense of nerves? And I'm thinking of this camp with the Ottawa Senators. They're going to play three games, the rookies. Yeah. I, I, this is the first year, I want to say, that I can remember being this much attention spent on this rookie camp. It used to never – people were like, oh, yeah, the rookies are playing over there. But yeah. this, is a, this is a big one. Like People want to see Jake Sanderson. They want to see the guys – who are going to fight for spots and they're going to get a chance to see how they look amongst the other rookies here in the national hockey league, or at least well, with and, the and, devils, the Canadians and Sabres. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and this year in particular, right. When we thought that Greg was going to be joining the group, yep. I think there was that much more excitement. Obviously it's still there. Everyone wants to see what Sanderson can do in company, but those were the two big boys that at least from my vantage point, prior to the news about Greg, that I was excited to watch. But when I played, <clears throat> when I played in these rookie tournaments, they were usually in Traverse City. I was with the Blue Jackets at the time, okay. and we'd be in this tournament, you know, with like all the teams um, that we were in the that were in the same division, you know, Detroit and um, uh, I think Nashville was there, Chicago. I forget, I forget all the teams because it was always kind of flip flopping. But at the time, Wally, it was a goon show. It was a goon fest. I mean, it was just fighting and showing how tough you were and. You know, if you were a stay-at-home defenseman like me, which I never really went looking for fights, I, I got in the odd fight by chance. Yeah, there's something perhaps happening on the ice, but never stage fights, right? But that was the thing then. That was and yeah, and huge. so thank, thankfully, it has changed big time since I you know, so since my days back in the early 2000s playing in these tournaments. So um, now it's more skill based. It's more realistic. You don't have the big dummies out there skating around, self-serving fighting each other. I mean, I. It's beyond me why that was a thing back then, but you know, that's the way the game was played and the culture involved. And did you ever recover any of those things, Wally? Oh God. Yeah. So, well, one, you just made me think like they used to dress every tough guy for every Everyone. Montreal or Toronto was, game. Right. Yeah. It's just a mess. So I always remember like, Oh, Zenon Kanopka, Rob Ray or whatever, Chris Neal. They're all Brian McGrath they're all in the lineup. It just seemed, I did uh, one of the funniest rookie camp stories I remember. I shouldn't I don't know if it's funny or not. Is actually in London. I don't. I don't know if you were. Did you go to the? There was a rookie tournament. No, it wouldn't be you in London. So the Sens are in London. Michael Wickstrand is on the team, and I can remember one of the staff members telling me that he doesn't want to get hit, and we're like, what? And so the next day he went to the airport alone and left and went back to Sweden. He what? left the team. And so, <laughs> and, the, and he called, if I'm not mistaken, he called, it might've been Randy Lee or Pierre Dorian and said, yeah, I'm not doing this. And so he flies back and that's the <laughs> Brian Murray quote about <laughs> he can go back and something about, he can work at a grocery store all he wants, or whatever, but he's not playing hockey. And they made, they didn't allow him to play pro hockey uh, for a few years. No so yeah, way. it was, I think it was a few years. Something like yeah. that. Uh, well, I think, that I thought I crossed. I'm looking him up here. Yeah, Mikhail Wickstrand. I'm, 
I'm trying to remember when I would have perhaps crossed paths with him. Um, I think he may have gone to one of the camps that I was there for, but I don't think he lasted yeah. very long either. But um, it's yeah, like that's, a day. Yeah, it was. That's but that's the game. The game here is like those those rookie camps can get pretty heated, right? Because you got a bunch yeah. of young guns that are just running around trying to make a name for themselves. So, you know, I'm 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 excited to see how Sanderson does in it this year. Um, you know, I don't really. It's hard to. The problem with these tournaments, though, Wally, is that the 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 on ice play can be very chaotic. There's not always a, lot, a ton of structure to it. You're playing with a lot of players that you're relatively unfamiliar with, so uh, a lot it's of not penalties. the yeah. There's a lot of penalties. It's not the it's not the smoothest it's, looking hockey out there, right? Like it's, it's a little choppy, ugly hockey. But yeah, the good the no good players. Yeah, the good players are always going to stand out a little bit more, and that's fine. But I think for me, it's more. You know, maybe those fringe guys that you're unsure who to invite to main camp, that's maybe more the purpose for them. And then, of course, giving your younger guys like Sanderson some more reps before camp to get them better prepared. But, I mean, I'm not going to look too much into it. I I, I know <laughs> if we can catch a couple games, that'd be great just to see how Sanderson looks. But I'm really more interested in, in main camp. There is a, a buildup to main camp um, and brought to you by BEI, Bonisher Excavating, Inc., uh, they continue to uh, help build the Ottawa Valley. The fantastic work. If you're looking to get your driveway done, uh, any landscaping needs you have. Bonisher Excavating here to help. Competitive pricing on all your landscape needs. Give them a call. 613-432-1120 or go to BonisherExcavating.com. BEI, helping to shape the Ottawa Valley. Please remind her to slow down in construction zones on the highway. Uh, the NHL Ottawa Senators preseason schedule, Matt, I think it's a mess. And the reason I say that is <laughs> Why? That they play eight games. So the first two games are in Toronto, which I've never seen this before. They're playing a split squad game on the same day in Toronto, 1 p.m. and 7 p.m. I don't know if you've ever gone through this. I've never seen a split. I've seen split squad, split squads. You play Winnipeg, one team in Winnipeg, one team in Ottawa, you, whatever, or so, split squads. I've never seen this. Well, there's that's how they're so, starting. I know it's, yeah, it's a weird schedule. And now typically when teams go play out East or they'll go to Winnipeg or some of these other cities that are a little further, there's usually a little bit of money involved, right? There's a little more incentive yes. for the team to do so. So that's something that I think people need to be made aware of. Um, but you know, I, it's funny when, when I look back now, I can still remember all the guys that I played with almost, well, most players, at least not all don't like playing exhibition games, right? Like you want, you do want to play in a couple of them to get your legs, yeah. of course, but you, you hate playing road games because they're all day trips. You feel like absolute dog shit when you get there to play because you've been up all day with a pregame skate in the morning, flying all afternoon, and then expect, expected to play in a, you know an elite-level sport in the, in the evening without looking like an idiot. Now, if you don't take those games seriously, then it's not that big of a deal. But I hated playing in them. I like to play at home, maybe two or three games max. Like co The coach would always ask a veteran, you know, meth, how many games do you want to play this year? Like, what are you thinking? I'm like three. And I'm kind of looking at them with that reluctant um, sort of vibe that I'm sending off. And usually they kind of smile and laugh, but in any case, I think it comes down to the last couple games. The first few are usually just a shit show because you've got a huge amount of numbers. A lot of players that probably shouldn't be playing NHL games are still involved at the beginning of camp, but then it starts to thin out and those games six, seven, and eight, you get the nice little dog fights to watch between players vying for the same spot. So, I mean, it is what it is. It's a weird schedule. No home games, which is kind of bizarre. Well, so, but what do you do? So I'm thinking if I'm a, if you're the veteran, 
you're looking at the schedule going, you're, you're cringing one home game, <laughs> one I know. home game. I know. So then the, I know. So you're playing a game in Belleville, a game in Winnipeg, a game in Montreal, and then you go on the road and you play the two craft hockeyville games, one in uh, Newfoundland and one in New Brunswick. Yeah. You're wrapping up your uh, training camp on the road. So I, and I know guys used to go away. Teams used to do it all the time. They probably still do the bonding stuff, but normally it's after the team's picked. This is a little int- like you're going to take a lot of guys with you. Obviously, if you're playing on the road, uh, it, I, I don't like it. I don't like it for them to start the season this way at all. Yeah. Well, I mean, we're not in charge of that, so there's not much we can do about it, but no, it's, it's, it's slightly annoying, but this team, this team is in no position. I'm now I'm talking about the players. They're in no yeah. position to complain, right? Like at this point, you sure. haven't earned, you have not earned the right to nitpick what games you want to play and and what your schedule looks like in training camp. Because when you're finishing at the bottom of the barrel, yeah, you're pretty much, you know, at your team's mercy at this point. You're gonna have to do what you're told. You're gonna have to shut up, have a better start of the season, and then maybe you can kind of negotiate with the general manager of the team next offseason. So I don't feel I don't feel sorry for them. Um, this is a wake up call for the group and, you know, hopefully they can have a bit of a, they can find that, 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 uh, with that chemistry, if you will, going into camp here toward the end, get a lot of reps in together. Don't complain. Just put your head down and work hard, get a good, get off to a good start. And then you can start worrying about perhaps next year's training camp. Uh, I will say like that trip out East will be fun because it's Newfoundland fun. is a lot of fun and New Brunswick Beautiful. small town. So you'll, you'll do some fun stuff, probably whether it's lobster fishing or out on boats, there's lots yeah. of that stuff involved, which, which always brings the team together. I just don't yeah. like it in terms of prepping for the season, but that leads me into, uh-huh. I guess this point is I can't recall a year. There have been this many guys skating this much uh, before training camp begins. Now training camp's a lot shorter than it used to be, mind you. And even when you were playing, but like almost everybody is mm-hmm. in town and trying yeah. to skate. There's a few that aren't, but like, does this seem different to you? It feels different. They know the importance. They've talked about the start. I just mm-hmm. get a sense that everybody wants to be involved right now. Yeah. Well, it's, it just goes to show you the culture that they've managed to sort of create here in this team, right? Culture, team culture sounds like a bit of a buzzword at times when you hear players and coaches talk about it. And um, I think in a case like this, it's huge. And, and that starts from, you know, your head coach or rather your general manager all the way down. But Brady's done a really good job with that too. He's created a nice fun atmosphere in the room that's still very competitive because he leads by example. And everyone's um, following along now. And um, I think with all the pickups they've made in the summer that this team has had, there's a buzz and the players feel it. That's that That is never lost on players, right? Like when you have, when you're able to make some big pickups, some big acquisitions in the summer, you're sending a message to the team that you're doing everything in your power to allow them to win. You're trying to help the team win. And the players are, they're aware of that. They, they can feel it. So I think usually speaking, when you're seeing a bunch of players getting, getting into town early, the way that we've seen here in Ottawa this summer in Canada, um, it's always a good sign. They're bothered. The buy-in is there now. Players are pumped to start up. They can't wait to get going and get things moving. So um, I think that's just a reflection of what, how the organization has handled this offseason and and the pickups that they made, as I just mentioned, and and yeah, the yeah. overall attitude in the locker room. You know what's different to me, or at least it seems to me, is that it feels, uh, and this might get taken the wrong way, it feels more minor hockey league 
ish. And the reason I, I say that is it, it's not about contracts for these guys. It's about purely winning. They yeah. realize that they have a much better team. They all want to be together. They want to hang out and they just want to win. You well, don't sense. And I, I understand it's a multi-million dollar business. Don't get me wrong, but I don't sense. It's just, everybody shows up and gets to work and does the work and go like, there is a general, general excitement level of these guys being around one another. Well, when you're, when you're on a short-term deal, if you're a young player, you're coming into the league, you're on short term or you're on a one-year deal. You're trying to prove yourself. You're always so consumed by, you know, and it's not a selfish thing to do. It's human nature. You want job security. You want to know that you're set up. You want to know that the team has made a commitment to you. And until you get that, it's hard to really completely buy in on the winning side, other than just maybe putting your personal um, goals aside. Right. So that's, that's always a hard thing, but now, you're, you've you've invested in all these players and all the long-term contracts that you have with a lot of your core guys. All they want to do is win now. They know they're going to get paid. They've got their job security. Now they just want to win. And, and, and that's how you create a great culture in the room. When all your leaders have been fed, when they all, when they, when, they're, when now they're eating, they've got their long-term deals, they got their security. Now all of a sudden the focus just kind of changes just a little bit. It's very subtle. And I don't want people to take that the wrong way. I know it's a big business. I know everybody, even the one-year guys are making tons of money. Everybody understands that. But there's something to be said when all your core guys are, are signed to term now. You're holding on to them and they know that. They know that they're going to be growing together. So their focus shifts just enough that now the focus is just on winning. And I love that. I mean, that's a sign that the team's buying in here. You, you saw the the um, the attitude towards the Tim Stutzler signing and the players all commenting on each other's Instagram posts and they're all pumped for each other. That's huge. I love where this team is heading attitude wise. Now that just needs to be put on the ice, right? Show me what you can do on the ice. Take that next step forward and the fan base will be all in behind them. I, I, and so it's, yeah, I completely agree with you. And you talk about Tim Stutzler. Uh, I believe our last show was posted just before he just before. signed. Yeah. Um, so he, as we, everybody knows, he signed an eight year, $8.35 million contract. The largest at 66.8 million, the largest in Senator's franchise history. Uh, were you shocked at the number? And if we go off Josh Norris number at 7.95, he's, you know, whatever, 400 grand more. Does it, is that fair? It, can they continue to pay all these players? Um, and I'll get back to, because there's something else I want to discuss with you. And that is we're now paying all the, guys coming out of entry-level deals as opposed to we used to pay all the veterans the money. It's now going to all the young guys. We're going to get to that in a sec. But yeah. uh, your yeah. thoughts on Tim Stutzla signing? I I love it. I mean, okay, there's always going to be a risk, right? When you're when you're signing a player coming out of his entry-level deal to, to an eight-year deal and one of the largest or the largest contract in sense yeah. history, obviously there's going to be a little bit of a risk involved. But I, I commend Pierre for this signing. I mean, from my vantage point, at least, and again, this is just my opinion. And this, I'm going to go off the board. I'm not going to talk about analytics. I'm not going to talk about um, the numbers or anything like that. Just from watching his play. And Wally, you and I had a bit of a conversation about this the other day where I talked about that sophomore jinx that you see kind of creep into a lot of players in their second years. I never saw that with Stutzla. I mean, of course, there were growing pains at times, like any player. That's not uncommon. But his compete level, his competitiveness, that edge that you see out of his play never wavered. So yeah. the fact that you've got an a, an elite skater who is very strong on his feet, 
unbelievable puck sense, especially once we saw him move to the middle. I mean, his game just opened right up. You just basically fed into his bread and butter, which is allowing him to hit that open ice with speed. I mean, for me, I, I loved what I saw out of that second season from him and that it gave me a little more confidence knowing that, okay, I think he's the real deal here. This wasn't a one-off, you know, you know that he's got his skill set, but to me, it's his mindset as far as the way he approaches the game, his compete level, the way he barks back at guys out there, Wally gives them the extra shot. Like you can tell he genuinely gets pissed off and wants to win. That's huge. That's how you build a proper culture in a locker room. And now you're talking about a second line center. We don't even know what his ceiling is yet, right? Like we don't know what that, that true potential is just yet. We know what he's capable of to a degree. We've seen shades of it, but I mean, the sky's the limit with this kid. I'm a huge fan of the signing. I, I, I like to be fair and balanced. I like to be critical at times. It's very hard for me to do so in this case. And you talked about when he moved to, to center as a winger, we all felt there was a, there was a disconnect, right? It just didn't yeah. seem right. It was restricted. That he was there. He was now, restricted. Part of that, right. But part of that was he was just learning the NHL game as well. I think true. And they were, they were hesitant to move him until he could, I guess, figure out perhaps the NHL game and the way it moves. So in his first 36 games, yeah. uh, seven goals, 20 points as a winger, then Josh Norris gets hurt. So he ends up moving to the middle 43 games. So the final 43, 15 goals, 38 points. The Sens were a, a 500 hockey team at that point. I don't think that's any, I think the two are related that they're a 500 hockey team and Tim Stutz was in the middle. Does he need to work on his faceoffs? Okay, sure. But I, you get a sense that he is right where he belongs and that he yeah. is going to be arguably the best player on the team. Here's the question I have for you. If you had to take one center right now to build your team around, is it Josh Norris or is it Tim Stutzla? No, that's a, that's, <laughs> I don't Josh like Norris that scored 35 goals. I know. I know. I, I don't like it because to me, I don't like the comparison because they're two completely different players in many ways. Right. Whereas Norris, Norris is your trigger man. Timmy's your dynamic star player billboard guy that, you know, has the odd highlight real goal and plays with a ton of compete as it stands right now. I'd probably go with Stutzla. I don't I don't like it. Well, I can't answer the question. I can't. I'd probably go with with Stutzel only that I think we haven't seen a ceiling yet. Norris, you kind of have a good idea where he stands. He's such a composed young man in that, you know, he doesn't get too high or too low. He's very vanilla and even keel. Probably kind of a boring guy off the ice, and I mean that in a good way, where he's probably going to bring a lot of consistency in his play over the next X amount of years. He's going to be very consistent. Whereas Tim Stutzla could just break out of his shell at any point and be a hundred point player. So, you know, it's like, what do you, what do you value more than the other? I mean, the oh. Sens are fortunate to have both. If I had to pick one right now, I'd probably go with Stutzla, but it would come with a big risk. Uh, I know it's hard, man, right? Josh I, I, Norris. Okay. But Josh Norris to me is a 35 goal scorer. I know I, you just, you can't find them everywhere. I know. I'm taking, and, and I because his you tires called him to Mr. No Consistent. I want, I'm taking him first. And that's fair. And I love his two-way game. Like, that's why I don't like, that's why I don't want to answer the question. <laughs> Defensively, I think he's fantastic. He's so responsible. He's good on draws. I, it, 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 we're lucky we have both. Yeah. Yeah. 
Like that's <laughs> in two or three years, I would think that dynamic yeah. duo we could argue. Well, never mind Pinto. David and Dry. What about Pinto? But, right. So you think of the stale again, I, you get Pittsburgh, you got Malkin and Crosby, both one hearts. Like it's tough maybe to compare that group, but in order to win in the National Hockey League, you need to be really strong down the middle of the ice. And, yeah. and, and, and with and, Shane and, Pinto, obviously, they are very yeah. deep. And and remember the team for was it 20 like around 2018, 2019, how thin they were. And how quickly and no this one. turnaround has been. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Make a couple good moves, a couple uh, couple good draft picks. All of a sudden, you potentially might have one of the deepest center cores in the NHL in a couple seasons, depending yeah. on how these guys develop, right? So right. it's super exciting. It's the most important position up front is controlling the middle of the ice. And you finally have a one to three, at least right now. I mean, it's, it's so exciting. I'm pumped. If they could only get the top four D, we'll move on is uh you talked about salaries so this is i don't even know if i want to bring this up but let's call it the highway 401k oh Um, shit so okay we're gonna break down the top five salaries for toronto and ottawa and you tell me who's got the better deal so tim stutzla thomas shabbat brady kachuk josh norris drake batherson come in at 37.48 million dollars austin matthews mitch marner john Tavares, william nylander morgan riley they come in at 48 million. So 10 million more, 10 and a half million more. If you had to go into the Stanley Cup final, this probably isn't even a fair question. Uh, which it's team not. would you take? Well, right now, if we're just talking about top, let, like, let's forget about because you know, you mentioned Morgan Riley, there's a defenseman mixed in here or there, but let's just assume we're focusing on the top six each forwards on each team has one D. So okay. four forwards, one D. Well, okay. The way I'll be okay. I don't know. This might be a hot take. The 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 Riley Shabbat thing to me is that's they kind of they kind of write each other off. I think you can make arguments right there. Riley might be a step ahead a little bit at times, but Shabby's never really had a great partner. So I think they offset each other right there. So I'm just going to omit the defenseman right now as it stands. If I were to go with a core into the NHL playoffs right now. I would have to go with Toronto because they've they've been the gold standard for yep. a couple seasons. I got to give them that. Yep. Okay. Yep. But there's always a but. But if you look and you move forward, I mean, you look at Ottawa's young core right now. Uh, Ottawa, Toronto doesn't hold a candle to it. It just doesn't. Never mind the fact that Toronto is unproven. I mean, what have they done? They they, they put up great numbers. They've got sexy points. Throughout the regular seasons, they some of them performed a little bit better this past year in the playoffs against Tampa, sure, but they didn't get the job done. Like they've lost out back to since I was playing my like in Ottawa, even in the first round. Never mind the, they lost the qualifying round in 20, lost in the first round, the three prior seasons to that. I mean, they've been dog shit. So you know, when people get all heated on Twitter about, well, you know, they, they dismiss the Ottawa Senators or whatever, the Toronto fanboys, it's like, what the hell have you guys done? You've done nothing. So, you know, right now, the, you know, the talent pipeline in Ottawa is ridiculous. Austin Matthews has one year left on his deal. This is make it or break it for this Toronto team. So if, if let's say, and now I can't read minds, I don't have a crystal ball. This is just a take, but if, if Toronto shits the bed again this season, Matthews could be gone. He'll just pack his bags and be like, why am I playing here? This team sucks. We're good during the regular season. Can't figure it out in the playoffs. 
you know, and, uh, and, and I know I'm going to get a lot of heat for that, but I could see him leaving. And this team without Austin Matthews, is this even in the conversation going into next year? I mean, right now, if I'm looking forward after this season or perhaps even after the following, I'm taking Ottawa all day, all day. Look at Toronto's defense. You've got Muzzin, Giordano. You've got some older players back there. Not a lot of foot speed. Riley, obviously, still an elite player. I'm not dismissing that. Justin Hall, Justin Hall, like hit or miss at times, but he's a good kind of reliable guy in the back end. But and obviously TJ Brody. But I mean, right now, if Ottawa brings in a top four guy, this isn't even a discussion. I still stand firm on what I said years ago, Wally. Ottawa, maybe not this season, but for sure next year will be a nightmare to play against if you're the Toronto Maple Leafs. I think Ottawa, I'll take them light years ahead of Toronto after this season. Um, but right now, like I think Ottawa, especially with their bottom six up front, there's more depth there, in my opinion. I, I just don't like the team. And players like Nylander, guys like Tavares, they didn't impress me a ton last season. So the foot speed thing with Tavares is starting to show a little bit. I, if I'm a Toronto fan, I'm starting to worry a little bit, quite frankly. And I don't if you don't know what Matthews is doing, even more reason to panic. I'm taking Ottawa all day, specifically after this year. You didn't even mention goaltending. Do I need to? You've got Samsonov and Murray. We got rid of Murray. And I, I, I love the, the, the guy off the ice. But, I mean, Samsonov had a little success in Washington, so sure, I'll go with him. But if you're looking at these four goaltenders between Otto and Toronto, are you not going with Cam Talbot and Anton Forsberg as a one-two punch? I'm taking that all day. Okay, I'm saving a question for when Craig comes out. I want you to tell me what the point difference will be. Like, how many more wins will Toronto have than Ottawa coming up here? Um, there is a battle of Ontario. It's renewed, though. The one good thing about the way that the rebuild is starting to happen, if you will, Ottawa, it looks like will be competitive, a lot more competitive than last year, is... The Battle of Ontario matters now, again. Uh, if fan bases are engaged, there's lots of chatter on social media. But they only play, so they, they play in Toronto on September the 15th, the, the second game of the season for Ottawa. They don't play again until in Toronto again, January 27th. And then the first game in Ottawa is March 18th. The wow. schedule sucks for it because yeah. Ottawa fans don't get to see the Leafs and build that until March. But by then, by then, Toronto will be out of the playoffs and Ottawa will be it. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but and I, it is more exciting, right? It is more exciting yeah. when your rival is competitive because for a long time, that Battle of Ontario was just a couple of games. It was just two teams playing and didn't mean a whole lot. Now there is there's some fire there. Look, you, mm. I'm just curious of how much Ottawa wants to beat Matt Murray in goal. I, you know what? I, I don't even know that that's... It might be a bit of a storyline, um, but I'm looking at the bigger picture, Wally. I mean, with with Matt Murray and, and Samsonov, like we don't know how that's going to work out. In, in fact, there's no, absolutely zero guarantee that Murray's your number one there right now. I mean, Samsonov sure. can just can just take that job in a heartbeat. I think it's going to flip flop depending on who plays better in camp. Anyway, I don't think the Murray thing's much of a storyline. I think a bigger picture, you know, Matthews, Marner, Nylander, Tavares, like if if you can figure out a way to have a good night against those guys. Like if you bring out a line, let's assume Formington's back at some point, then you got Pinto and Joseph as a shutdown line, potentially um, against that Matthews line. I mean, 
that's going to be a nightmare for Toronto. And you can hold those guys off the score sheet. They're so top heavy. You hold those guys off the score sheet. You're going to give yourself an, a, a legitimate opportunity to win every game you play against the Maple Leafs. And never mind their inconsistencies and potential unknowns with like in goal with their goaltending. There are a lot of areas that you could take advantage of right now. If you're the Ottawa Senators playing against the Toronto Maple Leafs, and I'm looking at some of those defensemen in Toronto, and I'm looking at that decor. Okay. But let, I do feel that you have to give Toronto some credit. If they're playing against the Ottawa defense, they're a, the, trying to shut down that Matthews line with Ottawa's blue line, not an easy task. They can't do it right now. They're not going to do it right now. I'm telling you, they're not going to do it. With Ottawa so, right now, and that's not me shitting on Pierre or anybody because they've no, done that, so much. I'm just trying to be realistic here. Yeah, yeah. They've done so much to make this team great, and I want the optimism to remain where it is. This isn't me trying to be like a cynic or whatever. I I just don't think – like so So this is my issue, and, and this, is this I think, falls short on a lot of people's minds. Um, they fail to see the long-term – issue with that decor in Ottawa right now as it stands and I'm yeah. sure they're they're still looking to tweak it look at look around the NHL's top lines and we'll use Toronto right now as an example it might be a little disingenuous because they're that they're that good offensively but who on defense for the Ottawa Senators is going to do the job against Marner Matthews and Bunting right like so you look at the decor it ain't Shabbat and Hamannick it's not Right now on the uh, on the Daily Faceoff website, I know we've all had our own potential lineups and and how we kind of viewed it, but they've got Branstrom with with Artem Zub as their second pairing. Let's just use that as an example. You're sure shit not using those two. Sanderson is a rookie; he can't do the job. So who's doing the job? You need a legitimate second pairing that can do those jobs. They can they can go out there on the ice when you're on the road or you're at home. And you can send them out there against top lines that are hot at the so, moment, right? So could, can Nick Holden and Artem Zub do it? Or could Nick Holden and Travis Hamannick do it? I'm getting a feeling that perhaps if they're in Toronto, one of Brandstrom or Sanderson sits, not likely Sanderson if they want to see him play, and right. they move guys around in order to I be think a shutdown. This is what I think. I think Sanderson's going to surprise a lot of people with his defensive play. I think because he's not a small guy, he's relatively big. He's pretty Six strong. Two. Yeah, like and, and, he, and he's got some weight for him despite being a young player. But more importantly, he's got a great stick. He's got great hockey sense, and he's a great skater. So if he can figure it out pretty quickly, which is, you know, it's a tall task, but it's a tall order, but he can do it, he'll surprise a lot of people. I think he'll be a guy that you can rely on to handle big minutes against top lines when he needs to. But I still think if you have a player like him, and you want to play against a guy like Matthews and Marner and Bunting or whoever else, or even their second line with Nylander and Tavares and Kerfoot, you're going to need a guy that can stabilize, a cooler. So you mentioned Nick Holden and per perhaps a Nick Holden and Artem Zub, sure. But then who's Shabby going to play with? Hamannick, I guess? Like, that's why it's like you shouldn't you should not have to make these changes specific to any given team around the league, right? Like, you should have an automatic shutdown pair for every night no matter who you're playing against they're your one two punch against the other team's op you know the opposition's top line so uh, again and I, I know this is exhausting for for fans to listen to Wally and I'm sure you're sick of hearing me talk about it there's still a need for a top four guy back there I still think they're looking for him they're just not showing their cards right now and they're not broadcasting it you know to the world but um they're in trouble that's the one weakness but right now for Ottawa it's the back end 
you do see uh and this may be off topic but you do see lots of teams i suspect now everybody goes into the camp for the most part with what they've got minus signing ptos and and maybe small deals like tyler mott I don't think you see any of those big moves because people want to teams want to see what they've got oh, yeah. as they get ready to start the now. season, right? Totally. So it's going to be yeah. Christmas. I feel like it's Christmas before maybe November before this but happens because depends- now, yeah. Well, I, no, but you mentioned Christmas. Like from my vantage point, Wally, it's like if this team, if if it's if that is the glaring hole right off the the, the beginning of the season where you're watching games and they're losing every other night because of that reason specifically because of the thin situation on D then you're going to see desperation kick in and then they're going to have to make some moves and you might have to give up a legitimate prospect, but you know, I get it. I get the patience thing. And I understand that you don't want to make any knee jerk decisions too soon, but this team can't afford to come off, you know, to come off the, the, the start here in a yep. shitty way. Again, they just can't afford yep. to come off slow. They need a really hot start. And if your decor is your major glaring issue and it's that obvious, they're going to need to address it immediately. Uh, fair enough, but th- you anyway. need the other team to participate too. And that, I agree. I know. Right? They, I know. They want to see what they've got as well. Yeah. Uh, I've always known you, Mark, with a C, to be the voice of reason. Um, really? So, yeah. So there's a little issue going on in Montreal right now. Oh, with the no, we're not. Okay, continue. Sorry. It is making national news headlines that Nick Suzuki does not speak French. Um, <laughs> Party Quebecois leader Paul Plamondon says Suzuki must Who? speak French. Who? We, he, Who? I, Paul. Just Mr. call Paul. him Pigeon. So, Pigeon Paul. So, listen, I covered oh, Montreal. Oh, right, right, right. We're, not allowed, Montreal we're for... not allowed to be critical of elected officials. I apologize. But, but I'm still going to call him Pigeon Paul. I start this conversation? Okay, keep going. Let's so, talk about Pigeon Paul. Because you're French... Um, and I but according to fans, I'm not the- according to the hardcore fans that were that were defending Pigeon Paul. According to them, I'm not a true Frenchman because I don't have an accent aigu on my e in my Twitter profile. Ah. So they were calling me tête carrée, which is a very derogatory term for French people to call English people. But they think it's a good chirp. But it's one of the worst chirps I've ever heard in my life. Sorry, continue. <laughs> so listen, people want Nick Suzuki to speak French. I understand the French topic I covered when Munch, when uh, Saku Koivu was the captain, I covered the team. And e- even back then in 1998, he took over for Dom Fus, I think it was, uh, I was there and there was the, you have to speak French. You have to speak French. Well, so the, since then they've gone Saku Koivu, Brian Gianta, Max Pacioretty, Shea Weber. None of them have spoken French. I don't think the Montreal Canadians are sitting in their office going, we didn't think of this. Everybody is aware of the issue with the French speaking players. We get it. But if that's who they think should be the captain, I don't know that it should be up to Jimmy or Robert to say, no, no, we want the only guy that can speak French to be the captain. It has to be a French. You want the best player. This, if, whether you can speak French or not, doesn't score you goals. No, and it's, it's, but it's not. It's a touchy it's, subject, though. Oh, pigeon Paul. It's it's not even about that. Listen, if you listen, if anybody paid attention to any of the quotes, right, from players that we saw in the aftermath of called the days that ensued, they were all singing Suzuki's praises. He's obviously the Gallagher who's been there forever, was singing 
Suzuki's praises, saying that he's the pulse of the room. He's the clear cut leader. He's the guy. That's all I needed to hear. I don't need to hear anything else. I get the language thing. Like, listen, I'm a, I'm, I grew up French. You know, I'm a French Canadian as well. I understand you want representation. You want your captain, who is a leader, the, the voice of your team, to be able to communicate to the fan boy, uh, to the fan base in French. I understand that, but in hockey, like any other sport, it doesn't work that way. It doesn't just because you're French doesn't make you the leader in the group in the team. The team, the the, the players in the in the in the locker room don't give a rat's ass what anybody else outside thinks as far as who the leader is. The leader isn't going to be the guy that's scoring 30 goals or that speaks French or speaks English or whatever. It's those intangibles that they bring to the locker room that most other players don't do, right? They're able to commute. They're great communicators. They lead by example. They bring integrity to the locker room. They do all the little things um, that most people don't see from the outside. I understand that what I just said is not groundbreaking news for most level-headed people. They understand that. But it's so unfortunate because you're adding this, this useless, nonsensical pressure and stress on a player that clearly doesn't deserve it. So now Suzuki is caught in the crossfire. He's probably going to have to answer some dumb questions about it or at least try to avoid them when it's, it's, it's such a high-pressure high pressure position to be in to begin with. Playing for the Montreal Canadiens or the Toronto Maple Leafs, having a, to wear the C – that's a tough thing to do as a young player. I couldn't imagine the pressure. Now he's got some clown politician who's trying to score political points with his base by using uh, an NHL player, an athlete who just plays a game for a living. You know what I mean? As, as an example. And, and it's like, what a, what a clown, what a clown comment to make. And all the fans over there that are getting behind that politician, shame on all of them as well. What you're just so out of touch. Your last French captain was Vincent Dafus in 1999. Nobody gives a shit. Like, was anybody crying when Shea Weber was the captain? Like, it's like, just just get get over yourselves. Well, I like it's now 25 years without a French. It's Canadian the only team speaking. in the league that does this. No other team so, gives a shit if it's a Swedish player, a Russian player in Washington, the capital of the United States. They've got Ovi. Like his country's Ottawa had Alexi Ashes. Alexi Ashton was not a very Ashton. good, Another, yeah. very good speaker. What a he was the captain. I, I just, I just wish they would stop making it the language issue and about yeah. the you make it about the character issue. Ugh. Does he, like so? Yeah. And he is trying to learn French, so good he for is him. aware, right? Like he's now accepted that responsibility. But he should so not and he hammer him, and he shouldn't have to. But he is doing it because that speaks to his character, and I appreciate that. Like. And, and I want to be clear, I've always been very defensive of Quebec, their culture, how they want to maintain their French language. Like, I get it, because it is different. You cross the border from Ontario to Quebec, I've got family over there in Gatineau, and they barely speak English. <laughs> you know, like, I understand that there are, there are some changes, and they're very proud. When you go to Quebec, you see Quebec flags everywhere. When you go to Ontario, we don't fly Ontario flags outside our front doors. It's different. It just is. And I understand that. But when you start imposing that on players in a sport, it's like, come on, man. Like, just get your head out of your ass, you know? Yeah, I'm I'm with you. I've been yeah. in that room, and it, there's never the issue. Like, the reporters ask him in French. Or, sorry, they ask yeah. him in English. He responds. Yeah. They translate if they need to. Everybody yeah. works around it. 
It's just, I just wish they had stopped politicizing it, but that's, I know, I know. That's just the way anyway, it goes. I was probably uh, a little aggressive there, but I still stand by some of my comments. No, it's, it's just, it's a frustrating topic because one of the, it's one of the reasons I believe while players don't always necessarily choose Montreal aside from the high tax rates is because of the language issue. Yeah. And, 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 and Montreal, like full disclosure, unbelievable place to play. Like it's people ask me, Mark, Where's your favorite? What's your favorite arena? Now, not not necessarily my favorite city to be in, um, but like, what's your favorite arena play? And I always say Montreal because their fans are so passionate. I love the rich history there. It's a great city. I'm not I'm not bashing that. I just don't like it when politicians go out of the way to bash a player over some nonsensical dramatic bullshit. That's yeah. it. I, I mean the same. It's, it happened with Saku Cueva. I can remember it clear as day. And I'm like, yeah, oh, let's let's move on. Um, yeah. All right, enough of us. Uh, well, more or less. Let's bring in Craig, our good friend, as always. Uh, Craig, welcome to the show, as always. Hey guys, what's happening? That was a good little, good little show well, there today. Boys ripping off yeah. about the season. I like it. Me- good stuff. Let's Meth do it. is fired up. Yeah, it's good stuff, boys. Um, yeah, there was a few last little things here, boys. I was uh, over on the Sports Interaction website, sportsinteraction.com slash Wally Mathot. And they got a few sends odds on there kind of leading into the season that I thought we might talk about a little bit. So uh, something we actually touched on, I think it was on the Lockdown Sends crossover episode was uh we talked about goal scoring i mean you guys touched on it a little bit apart is which center you'd like to build around or whatever uh but something that i found was each guy's kind of uh goals per games played and and uh that was something that i hadn't looked at before until and i even grabbed um Giroux's from last year and to obviously pretty easy to uh pretty easy to number crunch that one um but i was surprised to see that norris actually leads in goals for games played so i mean i knew he was up there with with uh, Debrinkat or whatever, but at uh, yeah. what is it, zero point five three, I think per game, and uh, Debrinkat's point five zero, Kachuk point three eight, Batherson point three seven, and then Stutzla and Giroux at point two eight. Uh, is there a guy there in that list that you like? Who do you think is going to? I mean, I think there's there's two front runners, but other than that, is there a guy there you like that will lead the team in goals this year? Wally, this is on you for a change. So I like Drake Batherson. I don't know how that whole scenario is going to play out yet. So. I don't know if there's distraction for him coming in and all that. I will go and I, I touched on it earlier. I want to change my mind now. I, I Alex Debrinket. You can't. I I can't go against the guy who scored 41 goals twice. So, I I just think Alex Debrinket is a special talent that is getting overlooked for whatever reason. Everybody wants to say it's Patrick Kane. He has proven he can score goals. I believe he will continue to score them. I think he may be Ottawa's next 50 goals for. So, okay. So if we're talking purely goals here, right, Craig? Yeah. Yeah. Goals. Just goals. yeah. Oh, I thought you went goals. I'm going to go with okay. Norris. I'm going to go with my boy Norris still. I mean, I just, I know how dangerous those guys are. Those, those, those half wall slash face off dot one T guys on the power play. They're going to be automatic for him. He's looking at power play still on the, on the first unit. I'm going to go with Norris. I know it's the easy one. But um, he's a, he's a pure scorer. I mean, like he's thirty five tucks, twenty assists. You know I you're going to get more mind. goals from him. Pardon? Yeah, I had changed my mind. I was going to say Norris, then I went. To yeah, break it I because... mean to, to break it to break it's a good choice too because he's got Stutzla and Giroud to play with. I mean he's he, he's not playing with slouches, but I still think that first power play unit. I mean you can't replicate that on even strength. I mean Norris is going to have so much time to let that bomb go. I still think we're looking at a 40 plus goal season for him. I I think Alex Debrinket needs to be on the top power play unit. Why? Well, why? I mean, I, he's got to earn it. He 
He's got 41 <laughs> goals. Well, I don't know. I watched the highlight reels and you did too. There were a lot of pretty nasty Patty Kane setups in that, in the, in that package. So I'm going to refrain from going with him until I can see what he can do with these new line mates. Okay, but you can't, you don't just magically score 40 goals in the National Hockey League, regardless of who's giving you the puck. My kid well, gets the puck handed to him all the time, and he shoots it right at the goalie every time. All I'm saying oh, is that's, you have that's to have skills low. to bury it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I didn't know we're trashing your son here. This is, that's kind of out of the blue, but I like it. I, I hear you, though. Like, my <laughs> son can barely hit the net. He's four. Like, so I get it. But the thing is, he has to show me first. Like, I, I can't just go with him because he had 40 playing with Patrick Kane on a bad team where he probably played an insane amount of power play, had, was catered to every night. This is going to be different. He's competing yeah. now with the top line playing ahead of him. Something kind of interesting. Right, from, well, uh, that's a, ahead, that in itself is debatable. Maybe by the end of the year, Claude Giroux, Tim Stutzla, and Alex Debrinkat are the Ottawa Senators' number one line. Oh, oh, oh. Wally hot take. Does that, does, that, does that mean anything right now to be the number one line? Because I think the top six, right, is uh, is it going to matter? Like, they're both going to play, I think. Is it's it, fun. To, what does it mean to, to be the number? What's the number one versus the number two mean? Like, well, whoever's, deployed... well, well, it depends, right? Like, if you're, if you're, if your top guys, you, whichever line you want to go with, is overwhelmingly playing more on a consistent basis, obviously, they're your number mm -hmm. one guys. But I do understand your point, Craig. That's fair. Mm -hmm. I still think. Brady's line is the, the 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 pulse of this team. I come on. Okay, uh, something I was going to say a second ago was uh, interesting that DeBrincat actually has the ninth best odds to win the Rocket Richard Trophy this year at uh, I want to say plus two uh, twenty two really? thirty nine. Yeah, ninth best odds right now. He actually moved up, I think, one spot from when we last talked about it, which is kind of funny. Um, although people are not feeling as optimistic about the Sens making the playoffs this year, uh, those odds come in um, at a yes is a plus 19 and a no is a minus 250. So the odds makers aren't loving the Ottawa Senators' chance at making the playoffs this year. However, well, who gives a shit? What do you guys think? They're playing in the East. I mean, and I'm guys, like, I'm a Sens fan, right? Like, I, I just... I look at their competition this year, and I do think you were going to see a little bit of a shift. I mentioned it before on the show, Wally, um, where I've mentioned, you know, I think Florida might take a bit of a backseat a little bit more this season. Uh, and I'm talking about the Panthers. And you don't know what Washington's going to do. Boston's sort of a hit or miss, depending on, you know, you've got their big guns are back. So you have to think the leadership alone will take that, that group into the playoffs. But you don't know, right? And so I think if Ottawa was in the West, we have this conversation and I could convincingly go with the fact that they'd probably make it. I, I, I would comfortably acknowledge that they're a playoff team right now. I still think they're teetering there. It'll be a dog fight right to the end, but I still think they're going to be just on the outside looking in, but that's still a successful season in my eyes. I agree. And if they can't shut teams down, it's going to be a tougher year. No question. Yeah. They've obviously up front. They can compete with anybody. I, I I believe they can compete with anybody, but it's that blue line. And right now there's questions in goal because we don't know what that's going to look like. I'm yep. going to go with they are on the outside looking in. Okay. Uh, something interesting. Uh, hang on. Oh, wait hang a minute. On. Hold no. on. Oh, don't, don't pull this shit, Wally. What are you Hold doing? No. All right. It's, no, let's hear it's, the new no it's, too e it's too easy to go, hey, they're going to miss. I, I think that that team can come together enough. I'm going to go with the fact that they are bonding together on a tight knit group basis. They're going to pull for each other to win. 
they will squeak into the playoffs. Okay. Well, I hope you're right. Full disclosure here. Okay. I like it. Uh, I mean, something that's going to play huge into that is how the Atlantic kind of settles out this year. Uh, looking at the odds on sports interaction, who's going to win the Atlantic Toronto favored Florida, Tampa Bay. They're all pretty close. Like there's a consensus top three. If you look at the odds makers and then there's Boston and Ottawa actually comes in fifth, uh, yeah. not great odds, but they, they come in fifth. There is it, do you think they they land in that fifth spot? Do you think that they can move past Boston? Is there a possibility they crack the top three in this division this year? Any of those three things seem like possible? Tampa, Toronto, Ottawa, possibly. One, two, but three. Okay. We, everybody wants to forget Detroit at the same time. I think Detroit and Ottawa are very similar in uh, their win totals or point totals. So I I'm gonna it's it may be those groups. I, look, I know Boston's I know. got you've got Bergeron Boston. They've got a new coach. They fire Cassidy. They bring in Montgomery. I played for Montgomery. Um, I, I don't like writing them off when they have those three, that three headed snake leading that team. I, I yeah. just, they're so competitive. I, what do you do? Like you could scramble these teams around after those top three, maybe. And I don't know. I don't like, I, it's that, a tough that, question. There has to be a changing of the guard at some point, Matt. There has to yeah. be with, with Boston can't play that great every year. Well, and, uh, like, and you mentioned you mentioned um, Detroit. Like they brought in who did they bring in? They brought in um, Perron. They brought in a defenseman, Sherratt. I think they brought in Sherratt. Yeah, and they've got Huso. Like they made my point is I don't want to just name drop, but there you make a really good point there, Wally. That's a team that just kind of gets lost in the conversation. I yeah. think they're going to surprise a lot of people. Like a cider back there still. Like they've got they've got some studs. And they've really done a great job. I have them. I have them along on par with Ottawa as far as the way they've yes. been bringing up some of these players, right? Like they've done such a great job at drafting. Uh, they're positioning themselves nicely. I think Ottawa's ahead of Detroit here, and just after the offseason they had. Do you know what I mean? Like oh, I agree. Detroit I agree. really surrounded the player players with good depth players, right? Whereas yeah. Ottawa went out and they got a legit like star in in Debrincat and uh, a beat and Giroux. Like they, I think they added better. Yeah players for this season well I think... you said Giroux like like yeah. when I was talking about Florida for example Craig yeah like they lose Giroux Huberto Uyghur Marchman Petrano like right. they've lost so you and that was to Wally's point as well like I think we're going to see a bit of a changing of the guard I just don't know how drastic it's going to be right like that's yeah. my that's why I'm reluctant to go oh yeah Ottawa's going to be right there in six or whatever like it's it depends how far these teams do regress despite some of those losses I just I don't know Something that happens often, and while well, I'll come to you right here with this one, is a lot of these teams, right? When you make a lot of changes and stuff like that, it, it can take some time for it to gel or work. You may find out it might might, might not work at all. Uh, so when you yeah. guys talk about a change in of the guard here at the top, is, is that something that plays into it? Because, I mean, Ottawa made a lot of changes too. Is that maybe something that could be a hiccup for these teams that uh, that changed as much as they did? Wally, you want to kick well, off of them? And I was just going to make this point yeah, before, and it's, it's the same now, is – Okay, let's say Toronto struggles out of the gate or Florida or what do they start moving out pieces? And then suddenly well, say that again. If if Toronto starts Toronto, off Toronto, Florida, Boston, if they start out slow, do they go, it might be time now to start this thing over again and start moving no. out pieces? You you no, you not, just no. said earlier in the show not with Toronto. It, it's Matthews last year. If they, he actually this has is two it. years left, boys. I, I just looked that up two seconds ago. He's got this year and one more. Okay. So but when, when if, I mentioned if, Matthews, what I, what I what I was probably really trying to emphasize is if he doesn't sign this year, yeah. 
they're going to get to, to brink know, at him, right? You know what I mean? They exactly. move that him was, That was what I was alluding. Yeah, anyway, sorry, Wally. Go, go ahead. No, but that's, but if they are all of a sudden become horrendous, and we saw it, I think, even in Ottawa, they started just now start shipping players out. We, like in the 2013 one, when they did the rebuild with Mike Fisher, Chris Kelly, all those guys, they just started moving Yarko. everybody out. Yarko got traded right? that year too, yeah. So is can that be a possibility? If team, There's going to be some team that's going to struggle early on that we don't think is coming. And yeah. you're going to see some move somewhere, I think. So yeah. I, I just that's don't why I'm we're... not sold on all of a sudden it's Toronto, Tampa, uh, was uh, Toronto in three. Wally, Toronto's too deep up front to not get regular season success. I think at least I, you make a really good point. If that they struggle by chance, then they're going to have to make a move. But I think, I mean, with the consistency they're getting, like offensively speaking, I mean, yeah, it's hard to write them off. I still have them in the top three there. But, but you, all I'm saying is you've seen it in the past with all of a sudden you're like, what's wrong with this hockey team? And then yeah. we find out later there's some internal issue going on or they can't stand the coach or whatever it is. All I'm saying yeah. is we've seen teams struggle who are supposed to be high end miss the playoffs. Yeah, yeah. And then no, you want fair. and then somebody yeah. slides in. Yeah. No, I think Boston, if you're if you're looking for a team that like that, it could be Boston, right? They've already started making some of those changes. It's like maybe more of those guys go out. I think the benefit all these teams have in the Atlantic is they get to play Montreal and Buffalo and all these terrible teams yeah. that are literally in the middle of trying to re re rebuild too. Right. So they stink. Um, so I think you're probably onto something there. So, but again, I was going, when we're talking about Florida, like that's one, it's almost like they're, they're just trying to laterally like restart there. Do you know what I mean? Like swapping out Huberdeau yeah. for Kachuk, right? Like exactly. basically you get like six, seven years younger, essentially in that one spot and don't lose a lot, but that's another team there where, I mean, I think they gutted out some pretty main guys. That's a team I think could could stutter. Do you know what I mean? Maybe the chemistry is not there yep. to start the year and they have a bad start like Ottawa does every year, right? And all of a sudden, you're, you're, you can't battle back. So I think that there's an opportunity for Ottawa to crack into that top three, but I think a lot of things need to go right. I think they, Ottawa yeah. needs to stay healthy too, right? Like these other yep. teams, adding a guy like Tyler Mott helps, but uh, if you look at a team like Tampa and they just have depth that Ottawa doesn't have, their defense has depth and that's what good teams have. So, okay. Yep, uh, anyway, was Those are some of the odds. I uh, it's from sports interaction there, Brent. Did you have anything else you wanted to jump in on with today? I do. I, I told Matt, I was going to ask him one more question. Oh, right. right. Uh, don't forget uh, one last time is to uh, go to ridgerockbruco.ca 15% off your order using the wham show coupon code, get home delivery. That is our good friends at Ridgerock brewery. Um, speaking of which Calvin Dahan, who's a part owner is now going to Carolina on a PTO. We wish him the best of luck. Is how many more wins, Mark Mathot, uh, Mach, does the Toronto Maple Leafs have than the Ottawa Senators this season? I don't like look I, disgusted. Just mm -hmm. answer the question. Well, it's a total guess, right? Like, well, so are all the predictions. I know, but I'm a little more confident in those predictions because I can back them up with some like legitimate stats. Whereas this is just like throwing shit at the wall and hoping it sticks. I, I probably, I'd probably have them with about a dozen wins more. That's assuming Ottawa's competitive. I, I don't know. It's it's a total guess. Like it could be twenty. It could be five. Like who who knows? Well, you keep telling me that they're a much better hockey team. I wanted you to. Well, they're making they're making strides yeah 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 and they're they, making strides and i think they'll be in the conversation for a playoff spot if they can get off to a good start and i'm talking about ottawa right now but i still think toronto right now is much deeper um i mean until ottawa addresses their decor it's going to be tough 
Toronto had and, 20, and when I say 21 deeper, more wins last year too. Just adds up. Yeah, exactly. And 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 that's you know like so so even the ten number that I gave you guys like that or twelve, that's still that's that's progress, right? And and I think as I had mentioned earlier, I mean Toronto's they like their top six are proven. They've got guys that have that have proven that they can do it in the regular yeah. season. Where I was being very critical of Toronto was their postseason. So whatever you do in the in the regular season means shit. Means absolutely nothing if you can't replicate that success, obviously afterwards, especially if you're losing on the first round every year. So I mean, I'm always going to remain critical of them until they can prove me otherwise, but I still think you're looking at a, a better Toronto team overall going into the playoffs. You guys talked about the battle of Ontario earlier, and I want to kind of circle back on something here. Cause you guys, it almost worked out where Ottawa played Toronto, I think in 2017, right. When Matthews was on the way up and Marner, like those guys were like, it was kind of their first playoff run or whatever but but didn't play obviously you guys beat boston and then nice little run to the eastern conference finals yeah dot, 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 dot. um is is would ottawa benefit from playing toronto this season like they almost did reversed years ago and it didn't happen like is could ottawa beat this team this toronto team in the playoffs this year or is it more so like is this one of those measuring stick type things or whatever because uh, i think toronto's i mean arguably they're in their this is their window right this is their window yeah. So if Ottawa, if Ottawa solidified their decor, there's like, there's a legitimate conversation to be had here. And I know people will bring numbers forward and, and understandably. So, you know, you look at the point production on that top line for Toronto. I mean, it's yeah. even for their second line. I mean, you know, your second line guys are getting almost 80 points. <laughs> I mean, at least with Tavares and, and Nylander. So I think if Ottawa figures out their decor, you can grind Toronto down the way Tampa did. We saw that. Um, but at the end of the day, you still need that star power element. You need the big guys to be able to come forward and perform for you the way we saw with Tampa, you know, despite them being, you know, up against the ropes, they managed to pull it in and pull it together. I think Ottawa has that jam in them. The thing they're lacking is a ton of experience. And I think they're still very thin on the back end. That's, that's literally my only, my only critique critique. They've got goaltending. Now they've got a good forward core. They've got some depth up front too. They're looking good. Just figure out the defense. Matthew Joseph has two more Stanley Cups than Austin Matthews. That's all. I, I know. Hey, I, I hear you. But but <laughs> as, Murray's as got two too. So yeah. As a depth player, though, right? Like it's different. You know, when you're not I when you're the guy. Joking. When but when you're the guy and you're getting paid to be that guy and all that pressure's on you and you're playing do yeah. or die games in the playoffs, that is a different animal. That's why role players always tend to elevate their games, right? There's a little less pressure on them. Anything they get is bonus and everyone's singing their praises and it's good for the yeah. confidence. So it's always pressure, the third line guy. Exactly. Nick, but Ball. the pressure is always Nick on Ball. your top two lines to yeah. pr produce points. And it's, it's, it's hard. That's all I was going to yeah. say was, yeah, I watched, well, I watched the third liner and Nick Paul uh, bounced the Leafs last year. Right. So it's that yeah. depth, I think, right. So it's well, the, the, the 07 cup final, right. Ottawa mm -hmm. dominates going into the cup final, but can't get their top three guys to score goals because yeah. they're just being shadowed. Well, and you're so. playing against a team that has done so much homework on you and their, their top defensive players have a strict assignment on a nightly basis. And, and that's, that's the challenge, right? That's why it's so important to have those depth guys, like a guy like Connor Brown, like that would have been a great piece to hold on to. Obviously they couldn't, but those are the, those are the guys, Nick Paul, yeah. another guy, like those are the guys yeah. you need to win Stanley cups. Quite why, frankly, why yes. couldn't they keep? Why couldn't they keep Connor Brown? I don't understand. I still don't understand. I don't know. Why couldn't? They? I don't know. I'm not a business. Well, uh, I don't have. I'm not the uh, the cap number cruncher guy to, yeah. to ask that question to.
I, I don't. I, I thought it was going to like be now. If you say much like Matthew Kachuk or what, like I'm not signing here next year. Right. Oh yeah, that's now, right. He did say that. Right. He did say that. So to okay. to Pierre's to Pierre's defense, okay, or the Sens defense, he did make it abundantly clear that he was unsure, and that's about the last thing you want on your team, right? Yeah. Going into the following year, it's a big yeah, distraction. Enough. Yeah, fair enough. I mean, I guess Chicago maybe felt that with Debrinkat too, right? Like if yeah. he wasn't well, that, planning on sticking exactly around for that rebuild, was. right? right. So, Same thing. Same thing. So yeah. We're seeing a lot more of it now of guys not being traded so much in their last year, but their second to last year. So that, that's a, there's a couple of trends that I want to maybe touch on in the next show, and that's yeah. uh, all the older vets that getting moved around and on PTOs and uh, players who are getting moved into their second year of their contract ending. So yeah. anyway. Okay. Uh, that'll wrap it up for today's show, but lots of stuff coming up uh, in the days ahead. So uh, I hope you enjoyed the, is it called the playoff ex- pre preseason extravaganza, Craig? I think I just what called call it. This? I think I just called it a training camp preview. It was not ah. less extravaganza. We make too much of a deal about all these things, right? Just a, just a little preview this week. Uh, so you didn't overthink it. All right. Well, ex- extravaganza for when the season starts. How about that? Fair. All right. Okay. We'll do it. Uh, see you next time, boys. That's the Wally and the Thought Show brought to you by Ridge Rock Brewery. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.